This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace with this Naked Mind podcast, and I am here today with Carrie. Welcome, Carrie. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Great. Well, thanks so much for being here. So where I always love to start is kind of way back at the beginning. Like, you know, where did it all, where did it all begin for you? Well, my, uh, my family's kind of a typical, you know, Southern folk. We, uh, grew up on a farm and, uh, you know, hardworking people, uh, like to take care of each other, but lots of, uh, plenty of presence of alcohol, both, you know, just kind of socially and to an extent, some, you know, kind of, you know, daily dependence coming from, coming from my parents. And so when you were young, um, it was just ever present in the house, basically. Yeah. I mean, mainly in a, in a happy sense, uh, just always lots of, you know, friends around, always excuses to celebrate and have a good time. Nice. And, um, and so when did you end up having your first drink? Probably somewhere around the end of high school. Uh, I had a, I had a friend, we would just kind of hang out at her, uh, at her parents' place and we were never out, but we were just there at the, there at the house. And, you know, we'd have those, uh, God awful, the Smirnoff ice things. They were popular. And, uh, that was, I don't know, probably senior year. We would do that every now and again. And then I actually quit like through college. I didn't, I didn't drink at all in college. Oh, really interesting. So, so your first few drinks with your friends, well, first of all, I mean, it's um, late in high school is, I don't know, I didn't start drinking real regularly till in my, you know, mid twenties, early to mid twenties, but um, I definitely had tastes pretty early, like a slumber party here or thing there. So that's, that's interesting. And then, so with the Smirnoff ices and hanging out with your friends, why'd you decide not to drink in college? I was, to be honest, I really can't remember. I just don't think it had an appeal. I think I was afraid to get in trouble probably. Um, where I went was not a party school by any means. So, you know, it just never occurred to me to try to, you know, apprehend it illegally and sneak it into the dorm and whatnot. And, and we would go out to clubs and go dancing, but we would just drink sodas. I never was inclined to have anything at those places. Yeah, that's really interesting. I have very similar experience. Lots of like going out dancing and just not drinking alcohol and kind of just not even, but yeah, it wasn't even like part of my kind of consciousness or awareness. So, all right. So then you're out of college and what's next? Uh, so when I got out, I took a little bit of time to just kind of, uh, travel around around this time I was I wouldn't even have been 21 yet I was uh kind of a free-spirited for a couple of years and and uh when I decided to kind of settle down and pursue EMS and go to school for that was probably around the time I would start having you know the occasional social beer or you know kind of the time when a six-pack would last a week or better you know I'd have a couple of buddies over at the apartment and we would study a little bit you know, drink a couple of beers and then watch a movie or something. And, and EMS, what is that? I mean, I, I kind of think I know, but I want to make sure for our listeners. Uh, emergency medical services. So awesome. in this case, working on ambulance. Work, okay. So you, you felt like this is what I want to do. So you're really certain and, and kind of passionate about that. 
yeah, yeah, I was definitely focused on that at the time. That's awesome. How'd you make that decision? Um, I was in college initially as a communications major uh, when 9-11 happened, and that just kind of steered me in a different direction. I, I didn't want to write about what was going on. I wanted to go be a part of helping the situation that was going on. Oh, that's really cool. What a great insight. Yes, I was also in college. I remember sitting in my pricing class the morning that that happened. It was very intense. So, um, so you graduated before you were 21, you said? I finished um, the uh, certificate courses to get my EMT license around that time. I would have turned, I believe I finished in May and I turned 21 that August, that following August. Okay, cool. And then, um, I mean, I know just from so many, so many clients and so many people I work with that between nurses and doctors, that is a huge, huge number of people in, um, in some of my programs and who are really looking to change a relationship with alcohol. And I think who also, because of their experience and their medical knowledge, have even more sort of cognitive dissonance around drinking than the average person because they're very aware <laughs> of what they're putting in their body. And so is that very similar for you where it was actually a pretty heavy drinking industry, um, but also a lot of kind of internal Absolutely. Uh, EMS is remarkably stressful, remarkably aggravating at times, um, also rewarding when you can maintain a healthy attitude about it. But that's certainly true, uh, you know, knowing the, the crews I run with and, and the ER folks, I think we feel allowed to just really have a great time when we're off duty because we devote so much of ourselves and our energy taking care of others when it's time to just kind of do our thing a lot of us run wide open yeah that's definitely what i've heard and i think that's also true i mean it's actually also really true in the legal profession it was certainly true in just like the corporate world um yeah. we poured so much of ourselves into that job and i think even more so with something like ems being a first responder you are seeing things that are incredibly intense and you know to not take that home having a numbing agent having a tool that seems like okay this is the tool everybody's using so it must be okay it must not be um yeah there's just almost no logical reason why you wouldn't turn to that in that situation exactly yeah a, a bad shift can be an excuse to come home and drink because it was frustrating or we saw something you know really awful um but uh, also looking forward to a, a, a weekend. A lot of us get three days off in a row. And so we'll just kind of look forward to that weekend. And, and now we got to celebrate. So we're either celebrating or medicating or some blend that kind of goes back and forth. Absolutely. I relate to that a lot. I really do. Um, so then, so you're kind of young drinking with the guys, drinking on the shifts, or not on the shifts, obviously, but drinking out on the weekends when you're off shift. And, um, and then kind of what happened for that from there? Uh, so I had been working as an EMT for about five years. And my grandmother, who was pretty much a, a third parent, um, I grew up right next to her. I, I was out of her house every day. We, you know, she would take us grandkids on vacations and everything, just very close relationship. Um, she had a very sudden, very severe hemorrhagic stroke where she went from going on vacations and driving herself. She was 78 at the time. Uh, you know, she 
was just 100% independent and woke up one morning, she had had this stroke and was pretty much, uh, you know, paralyzed on one side. She had lost the ability to speak. You know, she spent several days in the ICU and, and it was just devastating for the entire family. We're, we're a big close knit family. Everybody lives really close together. And it just was, it was very, very difficult on everybody. Um, you know, we essentially lost our, our matriarch, even though she was still alive, she could no longer fulfill that role. So after her um, kind of initial rehab stay at a facility, um, I spoke up and I said, we're, we're going to bring her home and we're going to take care of her. You know, at that point, they were no longer doing anything that we couldn't do at her house. We had enough people and fortunately enough money that she had saved that we could, you know, we could arrange for 24-7 care. So, so I took the lead on that. I went part-time on the ambulance so I could pretty much be with her. Uh, more or less, it was kind of like a nine to five Monday through Friday that I was out there. <clears throat> so you were, um, and then how long did that go on for, for taking care of her? That was about four years. That wow. was about four years that I did that. Although the last year or so I did cut back a little bit. I went back to working on the truck a little bit more just because I make money. And yeah. people, um, other family and kind of people from the community come in to take care of her. And so um, that's an incredible amount of dedication, first of all, and just like, that's amazing. Um, so how did that impact, you know, alcohol in your life? Um, since I no longer had this kind of regimented schedule on the ambulance to where I would um, you know, I'd work like two 12 hour shifts and I would have a couple off and I'd be back on again for three and it would kind of follow this rotation. I was real careful not to, um, drink excessively, you know, particularly because, you know, going, I didn't want to, you know, feel like crap the next day going to work. Um, but once I no longer had that kind of discipline that was required, alcohol became a very easy hobby to get into mm -hmm. for years. And that's kind of what got me in the habit. <clears throat> and so throughout that time, like, were there ever moments where you thought, okay, this might not be something I'm really wanting to do? Or was it pretty, you just did it and didn't really think about it? During those four years, I really didn't think about it too much. Um, I didn't really have those, you know, very early mornings that you describe in your book where you're like, eh, this is bad. I need to stop. I, I think, and I, but also I don't think was, I really can't remember how much I was having then, but I know it increased after I was no longer taking care of her. So I was still just kind of maintaining a, a social level. It wasn't until after she passed away that it, that it really made a jump into what I would consider to be, you know, excessive at times. And so did she end up passing away then after the four years? Yeah, we had her at the house for about four years, um, and then she had had other complications, and we ended up going back to a nursing home for a little under a year, and then um, she had yet another stroke, another severe bleed, and passed away a few weeks after that. She passed away in uh, November of 2013. Okay. So between the winter of 2013 until... Uh, just this past August is that's the block of time that five years is the block of time that I would have considered where the drinking was was heading towards a real problem 
Yeah, and I talk about this a lot, and um, I don't talk about it as much in my first book, but I certainly talk about it because I actually learned a lot of this information after I'd written The Snake in Mind. But it is, um, there's a lot of research to show that when, especially when something painful happens, and you're, if you're drinking every day, um, but nothing painful is going on, and then one day you have something painful and you just have the same drinks that you had the day before, those drinks actually can affect your brain differently. They can send signals to your brain that, oh, this is the thing to get me out of that pain because it does numb it because it artificially stimulates certain chemicals in, in your brain and your pleasure center. And so all of a sudden, the drinks, I remember a friend of mine, Jolene Park, she describes it absolutely the best. She's like, I drink a few times a month, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe like once a week or something, twice a week. And then I got a divorce and a few weeks after I hadn't drank anything because it was just like, it didn't come to mind. But then a few weeks after I ended up um, opening a bottle of wine at home by myself and that wine in that level of pain, it was like, oh my gosh, where has this been my whole life? Like it was really something that numbed it in a way that like, um, she, it was like, and it was there. It was socially acceptable. It was on the shelf. You know, she wasn't going and getting like morphine or, you know, getting knocked out or getting anti-anxiety pills or anything medicinal. It was just like there. And so um, is that, do you feel like your pain then kind of, was that a moment, not a moment, but um, that it triggered? Yes. Um, the, 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 the process of, of going through her passing and then you know, it's, it's never really over, you know, just when you have a day and you think, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm better. I'm getting over this. We're having to go through, you know, her home and all of her things. And it's just, you know, there was just no break from it. And so I think alcohol became the break and then it became the crutch to, okay, I've got all these boxes of things that I, that I have to deal with from her home. I'm going to have some beer or some wine or whatever I've got on hand to kind of quiet the anxiety in my brain about this um my i think my thinking at the time was i our our, our family history is very in, important to everybody and i was i got so hung up on legacy and i started having this kind of existential crisis where you know we're not going to have kids we don't have children and so I, I got hung up on this. Um, in fact, I remember, I remember being remarkably intoxicated and talking with friends because I said this, you know, our family has ended. This is the end of the family. I'm not having children. My brother is not having children. My sister is not having children. This is the end of our family. And for some reason I got so hung up on that. And that became this, uh, just this, this, this reason to just drink and just kind of obliterate those thoughts and the related anxiety. If, if that makes sense, that seemed to be a, a, a source yep. of that anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely makes sense. Um, and then, so did you go back to work more full time then after that and, yeah, and get more hours? I, did. In? I was, um, I was, I was considered part-time, but only in that I didn't take an actual assigned unit. I just picked up available shifts of which there is no shortage at the, where I work. It's a really busy place. So I would just, you know, I was still working, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. I just kind of was 
I was making my own schedule, which meant, you know, I would always keep my weekends off. So I always had this weekend to look forward to, to, you know, to, to drink and, you know, go, go to the breweries with the friends and everything that was becoming a real, uh, you know, a real frequent social outing. And so what, what ended up like kind of signaling to you that you might want to change? Um, probably for a good two or three years before I finally just made, made the ultimate change. Um, I, you know, it made me feel bad. I just started just feeling sluggish and, you know, not getting any younger and things that you can get away with doing at 25, you can't at 35. So I, uh, I had started having those, those moments of, you know, waking up in the middle of the night when the alcohol has worn off. And all those brain chemicals kind of come back into play and they wake you up. And I, I would call it dry brain, you know, and have that just god awful thirst and sore head and, and think, you know, this is, this is not good. You know, I wouldn't do this with any other, other substance, you know, why am I doing it with this? But it took dozens of times of, of that happening until, you know, I finally just said enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And how did that come about? I'm not real sure what it was about coming up on my 35th birthday, but there was something about the, the, the roundness of the number. And, um, I, I was able to take a, a new shift, uh, on the truck that, you know, pays a lot better. It's, it's a 24 hour on shift. So we work 24 on, we have two days off. So, uh, it, you know, it, it pays better money in overtime and all that kind of good stuff. And, because we did that, we were able to, um, you know, uh, let my, my wife be able to, you know, stop her job, which was kind of, kind of needed for some health reasons for her. So while I've always been, you know, a responsibly minded person that really kicked it in the high gear. So we got serious about our diet. I got serious about weight training and I said, it's silly if I don't quit drinking, there's no point in doing all this other stuff if I'm going to keep drinking. And while I had tried, you know, moderation to an extent, it's a lot of work. And I do tend to be either all in or all out. And I was like, I think it's just better if I just stop. And it's just no longer around. It's no longer in the house. It's just not even part of my world anymore. And so um, how, did your, how did your wife take it? Was she kind of aligned with you in this or not really? Yes. She's, she's been wonderful. Um, I had... I had kind of had like my, what I now consider my, my final night of drinking, um, where I had, you know, woke up with a hung, uh, a hangover and had to go to work and felt terrible. And we were sitting on the front porch having coffee before I had to get ready for work. And I just said, you know, I said, this is, this is no good. We're, I'm stopping. It'll be much easier for me if, if you can go along with this, if it's in the house, it's going to be hard. If I can see alcohol in the house, it will be difficult. And she just said, no problem. She said, we'll do it just like everything else in life. We, we tackle everything head on together. And, uh, you know, she acknowledged, of course, that for, for health reasons, it would be good for her as well. Um, although, you know, she certainly never, never imbibed to the level that, that I was capable of. But um, just the same, we just said, and we're done with this. That's so cool. That's so cool. And how was it at your job? Uh it, it's really made things a lot easier. You know, our, we, we're a very busy metropolitan system. We will run 
14 or 15 calls in a 24-hour shift. That usually means we run all day and all night. Um, we don't have a station, so we don't, you know, go to a bunk or anything. We're, we're in a truck, and if we get, you know, an hour nap somewhere along the way, that's what we consider a decent shift. So having going to work, always slept well the night before. I uh, wake up feeling good. Um, I go to the gym in the mornings before, uh, before I get on the truck. Um, it's really made, it's made a stressful job a lot easier. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, I have a good friend who is a firefighter um, in a smaller town up in Colorado, Fort Collins. And he says that you would estimate 80% of the scenes that he is first responder to are alcohol related. He's in a college town, admittedly. Mm-hmm. But is that similar with your... Yes. I mean, there's a lot, plenty of, plenty of DUIs. We, uh, we just, you know, we take a lot of people, um, and not necessarily just the college students, but just, you know, a lot of your kind of chronic alcoholics, uh, you know, they'll, they'll overdo it and, and they'll be sick or they'll be wanting to, you know, go through detox or whatever. So we go and, you know, we assist them. And, uh, there was a, I believe it was the morning that I, I decided, you know, I'm done we picked up a gentleman who was wanting to go in for detox and and he he looked at me and he's like you remind me of myself when I was younger <laughs> and mm-hmm. in the back of my mind I was like yeah but I don't want to have the problem like you have when I get older so you know right. so I, was, I just told him you know I said well let's let's get you over here and get you taken care of and, and see if you can get things turned around <laughs> um that actually was like almost perfect lead into my question which was going to be like how now that you don't drink, being first responder on some of these things that are just, you know, horrific or heart wrenching or whatever, and you know that alcohol is involved, how does that compare to when you were drinking, probably more than you wanted to be, and you'd be first responder and alcohol was involved, and and how you felt and like what would go through your mind? Um, you know, there is this disconnect for a lot of us in the field. We. It's not to say that I'm not trying to say that we judge people, but when we observe somebody doing, have done something that led to a, a bad consequence, we always think, well, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. That's just, just silly. Um, but I, I do think I have become more understanding, yet I'm also more, and more compassionate, but I've also, I'm also a little more, um, there's been, I don't share too much personal stuff with our patients for, you know, for professional reasons. But for example, there was, there's a gentleman that, that we got and he felt like he was, you know, having a problem with his drinking and he, and he wanted to go, you know, talk to the ER doctors about it. And, you know, I, I wrote down the title of your book for him and I told him, I said, you know, you, I know you've tried a lot of different methods. Try this one. I said, mm-hmm. put it on your phone and start reading it. And, um, I hope that answers your question. I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I have to work hard not to be more judgmental, I suppose, because I, I feel like, well, you know what? I did this and I'm not special. So, so you can too, but I try to come at it from a supportive sense, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. I think you're right. I think that's um, something I hear a lot from people who are in very, very intense fields where, uh, you know, things are right in front of them. They're watching, you know, like a doctor can be watching somebody literally 
die of liver, liver failure right in front of them and they know it's alcohol related um, and get off their shift and go have a drink. Uh, you know, I, I write this story in my book about how being in Las Vegas and we're all walking around with these massive like foot yard long beers and all this stuff. And we're walking right by somebody who's on the street with their paper bag and like making absolutely no connection between what's in their paper bag and what's in our beer. And um, you just have, yeah, no. I think that um, that happens so frequently and it's really i think that a lot of the reason that that happens is because we don't know how to change our own behavior so admitting something like that is like bringing that pain of knowing subconsciously that like yeah this probably isn't good for me and i think that's for me you know when i'd wake up at three in the morning and beat myself up about it i think it was almost like my subconscious mind was like active and going and then i'd wake up and everything was really clear in that one hour from three to four a.m it was like everything's really clear like what you're doing is the same as this like this is and, and it was so clear but then I just tried to do everything I could to disconnect and ignore that for the entire rest of the day and, and distance myself as far as possible, as far as possible from it, because it was just too painful because I didn't see an easy way out. I really, I really at the time saw that then if I had to, if I had to make a decision to stop alcohol, it was going to be painful and tragic and heartbreaking and disconnecting me from everybody and everything in my life that I cared about, including my own identity, because yeah. my identity was fully wrapped up in it by that stage. Yeah. I was afraid that my life would just become completely boring. Like I would, I would never know how to have a good time um, until I read your book and it, and it reminded me, well, I had a great childhood. I had all kinds of fun. I did a million things. I went all kinds of places and I did it all without a drop of alcohol on board. So why, why do I think I need it now? Um, and I know, you know, I know plenty of sober people, people who, who, you know, I've just, for whatever reason, who, who never drink, um, uh, like the, the man who's my, my partner on the truck, he's never had a drop. He is a guy who knows how to have fun and is perfectly happy. So that was, that, that's actually been a very, you know, a great uh, source of support. Yeah. My marketing mentor, it's funny. I'm just about to introduce the alcohol experiment and it's going to be live for January where we're going to go through it every single day. Next book is coming out. It's around here somewhere. Just got it in the mail. Um, but he has never had a drink of alcohol, but he's like, Annie, I'm going to do this anyway. Cause this is going to be awesome. And I'm like, laughing. I was like, well, I bet you're going to be successful. <laughs> but that's really cool. I find him very inspiring too. I think it's great to meet and know those people and just like remind yourself that like, this is just, this is just drink in a glass, you know, it's just fermented liquid, like whatever meaning we've assigned, whatever meaning I had assigned to alcohol. Now it took some work to understand that that meaning was actually not true um, and it was all kind of fabricated by myself, my conditioning, my experiences, society. But now that I really see through it, I mean, it's, it's incredibly liberating. And I love to see things that just remind me of that. Like, you know, I know now lots and lots of people who have never drank, but they just wouldn't have been in my social circle before. And, um, yeah, it's really cool. So, yeah. uh, I was go ahead. Sad. 
I've, I've, I've had, a, I did have concerns about, um, you know, changing friendships or maybe even losing friendships, but the friends that I have, you know, discussed this with the ones who I really consider close and the family, everybody's just been like, Oh, okay, no problem. You know, nobody, nobody's like here, try this anyway, or, Oh, just try a sip. They're just like, Oh, you know, it's, it's just, it's kind of a non-issue. So that ended up not being the, you know, kind of the pain in the butt that I was concerned about. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's great. I mean, I know that it can be a really big issue in, you know, depending on the people, depending on how much um, the people around them are feeling threatened by it. You know, there are definitely some friendships that I had that when I stopped drinking, they felt like personally insecure that A, I was going to be judgmental, B, I was going to change um, or see that they would have to change. <laughs> of course, I wasn't professing that at all, but these are all the things that are going on in their mind. Because, And I think the they would have to change thing comes from, wow, well, they're experiencing the same thing I'm experiencing where they're knowing that what they're doing isn't in line with who they really are, or who they want to be, but they don't know how to get out of it. And so they're in that pit of, feeling literally stuck between a rock and a hard place. And so when somebody up and changes, it can like really awaken those feelings in a very intense way. I had one girlfriend, um, literally for two years, she just stopped coming over and stopped like, and I was really busy. So it wasn't quite as maybe apparent as it could have been. We were kind of loose friends who had, we had grown up together uh, ever since kindergarten. And we'd seen each, we'd probably see each other three or four times a year, get our families together. And then all of a sudden, Two years later, like I was wondering, you know, what was going on and, you know, I'd reach out and we'd chat a little bit. Like it was just totally different. She hadn't like come over to my house. Like we hadn't seen each other. And then two years later, she calls me up and she said, I finally read your book. <laughs> I was like, well, you didn't have to, but thank you. And, and she's like, you know what? I, I've been avoiding you because I've been really afraid that our entire friendship was going to change um, because you stopped drinking and, and she's like, I want to come over and hang out. Um, I read your book and I think like, I see that you're not like trying to push this on anybody else. And she came over and we had, it was like, just like old times. We had an absolutely incredible time. We talked for like three hours straight and it was just awesome. Um, but she literally avoided me for two years without me really even being aware of it until she told me she had been avoiding me for two years. And it was so eye opening. like, wow, this change really can affect other people at a deeply personal level. And while it's not about you, because obviously all about her and about her relationship with alcohol, and now she drinks much less than she does. She's really good about it. Um, but it was, I was the, I was the mirror, right? I was like the catalyst yeah. and, and that can happen. Have you experienced that? Uh, to an extent, um, one friend, you know, we've been planning to hang out and I just told her, uh, or she, I think she, I was asking, we were, we were going to go over, come over and help him with a project. And she was like, well, what do you, you know, what do you guys want to drink? And cause they're like, you know, we'll, we'll bring the beer or whatever. And I said, you know, actually we've, you know, we've quit. So just some spritzers or whatever are fine. And, uh, she said, you know, she said, I've been, I've been thinking about it myself. I've been questioning it. And so I said, well, here's, here's this awesome book. And, uh, and I said, you know, whatever path you decide to take, you know, we're friends. I got your back. Um, oh, that's awesome. You know, this is like a no shame zone over here. That's so cool. Um, yesterday, we actually went, I was um, filming for 
Good Morning America wants to have me back on and talk about like uh, the next book. So it's going to be on January 3rd when it comes out. And we, they actually wanted to go film in a distillery, which was really interesting, but they wanted to like, I think really make this like, yeah, we're going to, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be different. So the first part was really a, like, you know, just Q and a interview style. But then the second part, the anchor and I went behind the bar with the bartender and he helped us make mocktails. So he showed us some of the mocktails that he's making. And she was asking him questions like, you know, how does it feel like when somebody comes in and orders a mocktail? And he's like, you know, it used to be like, oh, that sucks because mocktails weren't even a thing. And so if somebody came in and they weren't drinking, you were just serving them basically water and you felt like you couldn't charge for it because they were probably either pregnant or the designated driver. So like as a business owner, that was frustrating. But he said, literally within the last year, he has made mocktails a thing at his bar and he has some really good fancy ones. Like we had this balsamic strawberry like smash. And he said a number of people ordering them has been more in the last year than ever before in his business. He actually called it like quote the alcohol free craze and just, and this is a very kind of hipster bar in downtown Denver where he, and he says people just, it's not pregnant people anymore. It's, it's people just coming in and even regulars, but they're just not coming in for the drinks anymore. And it's just such a cool thing. It's really neat. I think that's great. I think a lot of people are, are waking up. It's one of those things where when, when something becomes so prevalent in society, there's a, there's a subset of us that go, wait a minute, something's weird. Like, why is this so huge? Why, you know, is this such a, a, a big deal and so necessary? And, you know, we kind of started doing, you know, the, the mocktail thing here at the house, especially there at the end of the summer when it was just blazing hot. And, you know, I was like, I don't want alcohol. I want something like cold and refreshing and, and icy and kind of, kind of sweet, but not too sweet. And so we started, you know, picking up all kinds of different stuff from the grocery store and throwing together different things. And, you know, and it actually like satisfied this kind of craving I had. I realized that even a lot of the cravings I was having was not specifically for alcohol. It was just for a type of drink. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's wonderful. That's probably like a huge untapped market. Somebody needs to take that. Somebody who's a better marketer than I am needs to take that and turn that into, you know, just one heck of a business. <laughs> well, I told him, I was like, you know, there's only like one alcohol free spirit in the entire world because you're right. We don't want sugary drinks. We don't want to drink five sodas. You know, you want to drink something you can have a few of yeah. that isn't going to overload you with like calories and sugar and it's still going to taste like sippable because some things just go down too quick and then you know, you're standing there with an empty glass and you're trying to socialize and we've been so accustomed to socializing with the glass in our hand. I think it's really cool. Um, I had another question for you. Uh, oh, well, I think I forgot it. I think it was something about, about the mocktails. That's really neat. Oh, do you have any favorites that you want to share? Uh, we just kind of ended up blending um, some ice and a you get like a bag of like the, the mixed berries from Kroger or wherever, kind of a frozen, you know, raspberries, blueberries, all kinds of stuff in it. About a cup of those, um, kind of blend them up in your, in your blender or whatever. And top with a little bit of like tonic water or seltzer, whatever you got, um, squeeze a little lime. I mean, they're good. And, and, you know, August in East Tennessee is miserable. So that is pretty much perfect on the deck in the afternoon or evening. Oh, that sounds delicious. I'm going to have to try that. You have to name it. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a carry original. That's awesome. There you go. Yeah. That's really cool. So I'll ask you the question that I always ask at the end, which is, you know, if you could go back um, and talk to Carrie of, of drinking too much, kind of thinking it wasn't the best idea and, and the one that was really afraid that things would have to change or that he'd be really boring and wouldn't know how to have a good time. And if you could go back and kind of tell him about what life is like now, what would you say? Uh, I, would, I would say, you know, how you've, you've taken on all these other kind of big life changes without even, you know, thinking about it, just, just trusting that I was making the right decision be like, this, this is another decision you need to make. You need to do this and you'll be a hundred times better for it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I love how things have shifted, like waking up early in the morning, exercising, you know, bringing the best of yourself to the job and to the people who need you when you're on the job, you know, being fully, fully there for the stuff you see and just showing up for it all. That's really cool. Awesome. Well, anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I appreciate the time to tell my story. Thank you so much. Oh, I really appreciate it. It was a great story. It's so great to hear from, um, you know, you have a, a unique profession and, you know, it's, it's, it was just really enlightening. I really had a good time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.